part six of our series in the story. And I'm so excited uh, to be uh, with you this weekend. Um, welcome to those who are streaming online. And uh, it's such a great opportunity, um, you know, whether you're out of town or you're not feeling well, um, to be able to, to get dialed in um, on, uh, on our, uh, with the family online, virtually. And so we've been in this series called The Story, and many of you have picked up the book, and hopefully you, uh, it's, I mean, it's only week six, right? So hopefully you're still in it, and uh, um, been following along week after week, getting the big picture of God's story in the world. Um, because stories are so important. Stories shape us. Some of you are, are like curators of your own family history, and uh, you collect and record all the stories. Some of you have been on Ancestry.com, discovered things that you never knew about your family history. And they inform and shape your worldview. They shape how you think about yourself, who you are, and who you become. And um, we believe that knowing God's story is so key as a follower of Jesus, is so key as a disciple. Um, because the truth is we, we're all born into this um, this concept, and, and we learn at some point that, that God has this story, this thing that is happening, and, and we're born into uh, selfishness, right? And, and, and our culture pushes us toward um, our own story and our own narrative, and, and this is going to be who I am. And, and unfortunately, what happens in the church and in hearing the gospel and hearing about God, we, we mistake the idea that it's about my story and God is supposed to help me get my story completed. When the reality is, the truth is, that's, that's not what Scripture presents. It presents this opportunity to become aware that God has this overarching narrative and that we can come underneath it and, and our story can intersect and find its meaning and purpose in His story. And, and if, you have, if you're not living that way, you're settling for less. I love this quote. Um, it's in your notes. There are notes in the back. There are notes on the app if you uh, want to do that. Um, our lives must find their place in some greater story or they will find their place in some lesser story. And I think throughout this whole series, you have to ask, okay, and what kind of story am I living? Is my story being um, grafted in and aligned with the trajectory of God's story and where God is leading. And so far, um, the journey has been one where we've been, um, we've, we've kind of gone through the five, five different movements um, back in the beginning, the creation life as we know it, God calling Abraham to build a nation through him, that God was going to bless the world through him. We see uh, the, the story of Joseph and how God brought that family um, Jacob's family all the way to, to Egypt and used Joseph and put him in a position to where um, this nation could essentially uh, be built up. And you get 400 years later and you have this huge group of people and they're living now in slavery under, in, in Egypt and, and God calls Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And he gives Moses this new, these new commands and a new covenant, a covenant to where God says, Hey, we're in relationship now. And here's how, here are the terms of that relationship. Because I'm holy. I'm a holy God. I'm a perfect God. 
And, and if you're going to be my people, you need to be a holy people. You can't have any other, any other gods before me. You've got to love each other. You can't murder. You can't steal. You can't treat each other poorly. These are the terms of my, my covenant. And, and, he, and, he, and the, the people, it, it all goes back to Abraham's promise, right? It, God is, it, they, the people saw Abraham as their forefather. They knew that they were the promise coming true. That, that this promised land that they were headed toward was something that their forefather Abraham had been promised and that they were the inheritors of this promise and that God was going to bring them there. And so they have their, their mindset, hey, we're going to leave Egypt behind and we're going to head toward what God has in store for us, this promised land. And so we get to chapter six, this wandering uh, is what, what the title's been called. Because before they get to this promised land, before they get to this promised land, they have to go on a little road trip, right? Little road trip through the desert. How many of you love road trips? Okay, I love a good road trip. I love a good road trip. Not as many as the eight o'clock. I mean, just, I just want to stay at home, all right? Staycation. Listen, probably because you've had, you know, very traumatic experiences on road trips because truth is you get in, you get in this car and say you're traveling across the country, you get these long stretches of land where you're four inches from the other person in the car. And if something goes wrong, you can't just walk out, right? You can't, it's not just like, you can't just send the kids to their rooms because they're fighting. Like, hey, just go to your room and or go to the basement and shut the door. Because I don't want to have to hear it. I don't want to have to deal with it. No, you're stuck in this, in this vehicle, you know, traveling 70, 80 miles an hour down the road. And uh, on road trips, I mean, a lot of, you've, you've all heard these these things before, right? It's freezing in here, or yeah, it feels like an oven in here. Turn the heat down, or why is this vehicle shaking so badly, or stay on the road, or I have to use the bathroom again, um, or so help me, I will turn this van around, or okay, in and out, use the bathroom and get right back out here because we have a schedule to keep. We have time, a time to keep. Now, some of you have heard those before. I heard those before. Not from my own family, because my kids, my family's perfect. They're great. No, this was, uh, this was quotes from our staff retreat that we went on on Thursday. <laughs> I mean, we all, I, I, what could go wrong, right? Hey, let's all get in a white van and drive up to Baraboo, Wisconsin. We're going to pray and seek the vision for the church. We're going to bond. It's going to be this great time. We can't get an hour from NBC yeah, without someone complaining about the air or someone complaining about it's too hot or cold or the van needs a realignment or something like that. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's all in good, it's all in good jest. It's in good fun. We, we're a tight team and we, we can um, give each other a little bit of, uh, of healthy sarcasm. But Israel is on this road trip, right? And Moses is leading them. And, and think about it. Um, man, I, when I go on a road trip, I have three kids in the back seat. And uh, things can get a little tense. Moses had three million kids in the back seat, right? It's like herding cats. He's, he's leading them through this wilderness. He's got three million kids who are fussing and whining and complaining and struggling, it says in the, um, in the story on page 71, it gives this um, really great little summary. Um, the people, it says, the people marched out from their year-long camp out near Mount Sinai in organized units, grouped according to the 12 tribes. 
named after the 12 sons of Jacob. God continued to guide them with the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He had rescued his people from slavery, showed them his power, guided their steps, given them his law, and gifted them with his presence. By now, perhaps, the people would trust God and his leading. Perhaps they would. Perhaps in light of everything that he had done and everything that, everywhere that he had led them, they would trust that God was going to lead them. But what we see is we see these, these elements of a, of a road trip gone bad. And that's kind of where, where we're going to hang out this morning. We're going to be in numbers. Um, we're going to start in 11. And we're going to kind of meander in and through uh, chapter 14. Um, so if you have your, your scriptures, you could turn there. Um, we see three elements, and these are in your notes. Again, the, the first one is complaining. Right? The, the Israelites, they complain. They found everything to complain about. In Numbers 11, starting verse, in uh, verse 1, it says, Now the people complain about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And fire from the Lord burned among them and, and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And they were complaining about hardships. And that always blows my mind because it's like, you guys, you were just in Egypt. You were slaves. Your people were slaves for 400 years. You were being whipped and mistreated and not, probably not paid fairly. And you, you were slaves. You were slaves. And you knew this was coming. You knew it was going to be hard. A second thing they complained about was was food. It says 11 verse, uh, verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Again, the Israelites started wailing and said, yeah, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We've, we never see anything but this manna. Never see anything but this manna. They start complaining about the food. They start complaining about the leadership. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord really spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this, and he calls them out. It's like, hey, all right. I, mean, I can't imagine. It says that, that uh, he appeared in a cloud before the entrance of the tent. And called out Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Okay, kids, come on out. You know that feeling, right? Your kids know that feeling. Kids, come on down. We're going to have a little talk. I mean, imagine that. God is calling you to the front of his tent. He's like, hey, come here. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I spoke to Moses face to face. Well, how could you? Why would you even question? Why would you even complain? I've chosen him. Essentially saying, hey, just, just be quiet. Just listen to him. Stop complaining. And yet when things got hard, they chose to complain. This is a, this is a big one. The wrong turns, right? We see on, on road trips sometimes, you, thankfully we have GPS and we, it's, sometimes it's hard to get lost as long as you have, um, you know, as long as you have uh, reception or whatnot, you can find the way. It's going to 
take you on the right path. But um, oftentimes on a road trip, you could take a real wrong turn and end up so far from where you were headed. And Israel takes this wrong turn. I mean, they, they head all the way to the edge of the promised land. I mean, it didn't take that long. I, and definitely, it didn't even take a year. It maybe took a little over a month to get from Egypt to the edge of the promised land where God was leading them. And they get there and they decide, hey, let's send out some spies. Let's send out 12 spies. They're going to go. They're going to scope out the land. And they come back. Um, in, starting in chapter 13, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. When we went into the land which you sent us, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Hey, check it out. This land is everything that God has promised it would be. But the people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants from Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, hey, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, hey, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered Joshua and Caleb were there, who were, among, uh, who were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelites assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people in the land, because we'll devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. This is a wrong this is a wrong turn. It's a wrong turn. And, and, and man, just as you read that, just think about, think about their situation for a moment. This group of people was in Egypt and their ancestors were in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves. They were oppressed. And these same people just a short time earlier saw these 10 plagues happen. They saw what God did. 
They saw God turn the, 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 the river into blood. They saw frogs cover the land, the livestock, the, the darkness. And they saw God just send an angel of death to wipe out all the firstborn. And all we had to do was just, we had to just put the blood on the doorpost. And the angel passed away. We didn't even have to do anything. The angel of God came. The angel of God came. We passed through the Red Sea. You guys were there. We were walking and there's water on both sides and it was crazy. And we were, and we were overjoyed when, when we turned back and God dropped all that water on Pharaoh and his army. You were there at the, the base of the mountain when we, you know, we didn't even, Moses went up and he saw, the, saw God face to face and, 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 he, and his face came back and it was glowing, it was shining. You guys saw that. You saw that. And now you're at the edge of the promised land and you think some, there's like some, oh, there's some giants in the land. You think that God can't handle that? You think that God would lead us here and then we're just going to die? What kind of God have you been following? I mean, think about it from God's perspective, right? How insulting. You think I would lead you here only to die. You think that I'm not going to follow through on my promises. What kind of God do you think I am? Do you think that any challenge any hardship, any difficulty is too hard for me to handle. What kind of God do you think I am? You guys, this wrong turn is this, this, it's cost them, this cost them everything. Definitely cost them the next 40 years because here was God's judgment on them. Chapter 14, verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing, do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who has counted in the census and has grumbled against me. Oh, you say, hey, we're going to die in the desert. Okay, fine. Yes, you're going to die in the desert. Verse 30. Not one of you will enter the land. I swore with my uplifted hand to make your home. Except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I'll bring them into the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness, and your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one for each of the 40 days that you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. That is, that is tough. That is tough, but that, that is how God feels. I believe when his people, Israel, these, these people he's called in the covenant into a relationship with him, they just insulted him. But they said, no, 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 this, this God's not powerful enough. There's no way he can do it. There's no way. And the final thing, of course, thank the Lord that after some time, after 40 years, um, we see him 
recalculate. We see him um, get his people back on path. And of course, a, a good road trip, when you, when you take a wrong turn, what happens? It recalculates you toward the destination for which you are heading. Um, Deuteronomy 30, you have this situation where now they've all died. Moses, is, um, Moses has seen that. Moses is being led by God. Um, Moses also is, is not perfect. He's had his shortcomings. He's not able to see, or he's not able to enter into the promised land. He was able to see it before he died. Uh, but now he gives this challenge, reminding the people of who they are and challenging them. He says in verse 11, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who can ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Verse 15, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you'll certainly be destroyed. You, won't, you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Verse 19, this day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life. Choose his path. And as I was studying this week and meditating on this, um, I thought, man, why do they wander? Why do we wander? And, and I... I thought this. I think the Holy Spirit kind of just impressed this on my heart. Wandering can occur when we desire the destination without the difficulty. Wandering can occur when we desire the destination without the difficulty. We look at the blessings. We look at where God is leading us. We look at his promise. And we head that direction. And we say, great, I'm all in. And then things get difficult. Then things get difficult. And, and we say, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Things were going to be hard? Maybe making the decision to follow Jesus was the, the wrong one. Because I thought the purpose of my life was comfort. I thought the purpose of my life was stability. I thought the purpose of my life was simply my own personal happiness. 
And as soon as difficulty started to arise, they just jumped ship. And we get tempted to do it too. But that's just not what Scripture portrays. I mean, you look at the life of Paul. Paul says this, I love this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had even, we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. James, of course, said, hey, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is saying, if you would skip those trials, if you would just, you know, bypass, you're going to be lacking something. You're going to be lacking the maturity and experience that comes through facing trials. And of course, Jesus in the garden said to, said to his disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And so he went a little beyond them, fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus didn't avoid suffering that was coming his way. So here's the question. What do you do when things get hard? What do you do when things get hard? Are you tempted to just jump ship? Are you tempted to just give in, to take a shortcut that isn't really there? A great, no, he's not a great theologian. Someone, a guy, his name's Mike Tyson. He says this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I think he was, he was you know, doing an interview for a fight or something. He said, hey, what are you going to do with this guy? You know, he's going to come in and he's going to pick you apart. He said, well, I'll punch him in the face because you know what? Everyone's got a perfect plan. And then, look, what do you do? When you have your plan and, hey, here's my direction, here's my destination, I'm going to fall, and then life kind of just punches you in the face. How do you respond? How do you react? What do you do? What do you do when you're prone to wander, as the old hymn says? And we're all prone to wander. We know that. We know that. As I was thinking about that phrase, I thought, where else do I use prone? Well, that word prone, like it means susceptible, like it's, it's a little sensitive to it. And I think of, uh, I immediately I thought, oh, prone to injury. If someone's kind of prone to injury. And I had just, um, the other week, uh, kind of tweaked my, uh, my knee a little bit when I, doing, just doing a little just wrestling or something. And, and so I was talking to a friend. They said, hey, yeah, you, you know, you really got to, you really got to rehab that knee. You got to roll it out on a foam roller. You got to make sure to break up all the scar tissue. You know, do it before and after you train. Um, make sure to ice it. I got a little sleeve for it to kind of compress it and protect it. Because if you're not careful, and I, I felt it, like I thought, oh, okay, I kind of tweaked in a couple days later, trying to do some, um, some training. I'm like, oh, it's, it's sensitive. And if I, if I use that thing a little too hard, it's going to tear. 
So I, I have to do that. So how, you know, so I, so I thought, man, what are some things that we can be less prone to wander? If I, if I have to rehab my knee, how can we do some wandering rehab? And these are in your notes. Four simple things. I, I think the first one is just repent. The moment you start to stray off the path the, that, that God has brought you on, repent. Man, turn around. Let God recalculate you back toward where he's leading you. But you've got to admit it first. Keep short accounts with God. One of the things that I like to try to do each night before I go to bed is just think about my day and just say, okay, God, show me anything that I, I need to change. Or think about how did I handle this situation this day? What did I say to that person? Is there anything that I need to repent of and not make an excuse about it or, or, or blame anybody else? Just... Just repent and say, God, this, I screwed up at that part, and I'm, I'm sorry. And, and, you know, if the next day I need to have a conversation with someone, I try to do it, but repent. Turn around. Second one is record. Record the story that God is telling through your life. As you journey with God, he's going to do some incredible things, amazing things, and we've got to record those things. We've got to write them down. You've got to write them down, whether it's in a journal, whether it's, you know, you, you Facebook about it, and, or whether you, um, whatever it is, however you, you like to record your thoughts. And when, when God does something, just, just write it down. Do it, like, because we, we've, we've, got, we've got to not take that stuff for granted. We've got to not take that stuff for granted. Because in the future, we're going to need that. We're going to need to remember. And, but when, it, when we're in ideal circumstances and when we're in challenging circumstances, we're going to need to remember. Because things are going to get hard. And, and all throughout the scriptures, one of the things, like especially the psalmist, I love reading the psalms, because they really teach you to pray and how to talk to God and how to interact with God. And, and one of the things that he says is, I, I remembered your ways. I remembered how you provided. I remembered what you did for me. And it changes his perspective on the situation that he is facing. I remembered. And, and you saw it. You saw it with Israel. They simply forgot. They forgot. And it was like, man, you were just there. How could you forget? How could you be so stiff-necked and, and rebellious. And then finally, review. And I kind of put that little dash in between the re and view on purpose to review the destination. To look ahead and say, where is God leading me? And let that be the, the purpose, like his purpose and his plan and his plan for restoration and his plan for life. His, his plan, when we have that goal in mind, to reframe and reorient our lives around where he is leading. And I'll kind of close with this. And it, it may sound oversimplistic, but perhaps um, some, of, some of you, this is just what you need to hear this morning. When life gets hard, don't quit. Don't quit. Stay the path. When you get tempted to shortcut your way around something, when you get tempted with something that God says, no, that's not going to bring you life. That's going to bring you death. 
Don't quit. Some of us tap out way too early. We give up way too easily. Whether it's your marriage or your kids or your home situation, your job situation, your spiritual condition, your bad habits, things that are going wrong, things that you think can't, I, I, no, that person can't change. I know them. They're never going to change. Don't quit. Don't sell yourself short of what God can do in your life. Now, I say this kind of sensitively, but look, don't insult God. Don't insult God like the Israelites did. Don't come to him and, and think, man, this challenge is too hard for God. Because all that's going to do is it's going to keep you in the wilderness for that much longer. Because God will say, okay, you think that I can't handle this? All right. Enjoy. And, and eventually, you know, I will, we'll get to the point of breaking where we fall on our knees and just say, God, it's hopefully, and we recalculate our lives around, God, you're, you're worthy and you're so capable. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stay the path. God is leading you. He is for you. I love this quote from, from Charles Swindoll. Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. Are we ever response? Things are going to come our way that are out of our control and we have to choose to respond biblically and in, in a heart that seeks to honor God. I love what Paul says, and these are so encouraging words in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will carry it on. He's going to carry it on. He's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And just a chapter later, Paul also encourages. He's like, okay, God's going to carry it on. Doesn't mean that you just kind of step back. Doesn't mean that you get lazy. Doesn't mean that you just have to sit back and say, okay, God, just do something. I'm waiting. No, Paul says... He says, my dear friends, if you've always obeyed, obeyed not only in my presence, but more in my, even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to fulfill his good purpose. He says two things, work it out. And you are in this relationship, you have this salvation, you have this gift. Says, work it out, work hard at it. Work hard at using the very thing that God has saved you for because God is working in you. I take such courage in that, that God continues to work in me. And we're going to come to the communion table in just a moment. And here's, here's the truth. Israel was, were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God. We all, we're all, right? We're slaves to sin. We were in a desperate situation. And this table is open to anyone who has cried out to God, who has decided to put their trust in him, to follow him and become a Christian. And it's a way to do exactly what we had been talking about, to, to re repent, 
to remember and to review the path that God is leading us on. Jesus heard our cry. God called Jesus to lead us out of sin, out of oppression. Israel went through the desert for 40 years. Jesus went through the desert for 40 days. Jesus was tempted to complain, tempted to to give up, tempted to give in. He was tempted with food, right? And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And that verse that he quoted is is directly from, from the books of Moses, where God says, that's why I gave you manna, so that you would understand that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by what God provides. He was tempted to test God, as the Israelites did in the wilderness, to try to test him, test his patience. And he's like, no, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to just jump off some you know, high precipice and, and, and just you know, believe that angels are going to, no, I'm not going to test him. I know who he is. I know who I am. He was tested with power. Satan said, hey, look, you've got nothing. You're in this desert. I'm going to give you all the power in the world. Just bow before me. He says, no, absolutely not. Because listen, Jesus is like, I'd rather be in the desert with God than anywhere else in the world apart from him. And it brought him, he came out of that desert and he hit the world with, with the power of the kingdom. And it led him all the way to the garden. Where guess what? He didn't quit. He didn't stop. And so as we come to the table, you're going to exit the rows on your left and re-enter on your right. And I encourage you, if you've made that choice, that decision, if you haven't, you can do so today. It's a simple as, as it's crying out to God, saying, God, I, that's it, I'm done. I give up myself and my life and I surrender to you. But come and, and take the elements and, and after you return to your seats in a moment, we'll take them together. Come now.
not going to rush this. Just take a moment. Just reflect. Take a breath and listen to this scripture here. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Communion is a chance to consider him who died for us so that we will not grow weary and lose heart so that we can continue the path that God has for us. The night Jesus was with, with his disciples, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood that is spilled for you. When you drink this, you participate in me. Do this in remembrance of me. Oh God, we need reminders. We need strength. We need help. And God, I just pray for any of us here who are in circumstances where we want to quit and give up. And God, fix our eyes on Jesus, who has saved us, who has made us clean, whose resurrection gives us new life for our journey. God, bless us as we continue to worship you being amazed by your love. In your name we pray, amen.